Welcome to Building a Better Bond, a Fiber Bond podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Building a Better Bond with Fiber Bond. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. You can't meet a better man than Mr. Walker. These words close out the first episode of our newest video series, Building a Better Bond, and they couldn't ring more true. In the video, we chronicled the life and journey of Claude Walker, founder of Fiberbond, and a man who always knew he was destined to follow in his family's entrepreneurial footsteps. From the joyous moments to the ones that leave you feeling like everything you've worked for is coming to an end, the trials and tribulations of leading a company to success are some of the best molders of character and leadership. Today we're sitting down with Claude to detail his journey with Fiberbond and why a spirit of perseverance and determination can lead to long-term success. Claude, it's a pleasure to welcome you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm getting along fine. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to learn more about you and your really storied history with this company. To start, I want to paint a picture of your family's past and their long impact on Louisiana because I think it really sets the stage for why you felt you had to follow in their footsteps and make a name for yourself as the next Walker, right? So before Claude Walker, what was the entrepreneurial legacy of the Walker family in Louisiana? Well, they all migrated here to North Louisiana from Georgia in 1848, and they were always involved in uh, farming and sawmilling business. So they had mills before they came to Louisiana, and when they came across in the fall of the year, they couldn't get to the black dirt in Dallas where they were going. So they looked around and found the pine trees here in Louisiana were a whole lot bigger than they were in Georgia and decided this (laughs) was like home. So they started basically with nothing, uh, built uh, two or three mills, as I recall, before they finally built a sawmill here in Taylor, where I lived, in 1924. But they'd always been entrepreneurial in spirit and certainly uh, must have overcome an awful lot of obstacles before they even got here. Once they got to North Louisiana, they looked around and uh, just eked out a living as best they could. But I think all in all, you know, you just take whatever the good Lord gives you and you go from there. And I don't think he ever, I don't believe they ever thought that there was anything in life other than being blessed. They never were negative in spirit and they always felt like that, let's make the most of what we have. And that's pretty much what I inherited. I love that. It sounds like it's a spirit of taking the best and taking the worst in stride and you know, dealing with it in a way that felt productive, felt beneficial, not only to the family, but to the community that you were a part of. Would that, would that sound right? Well, that's correct, because in the two or three sawmills they built before they built the one here in Taylor in 1924, there was at least one of the three that burned. So it seemed like that's not too unusual in the sawmill business because it's all made out of wood and they have to have a fire to make steam in a lot of cases. But, uh, you know, they were... They were never die, never quit kind of people. I can know that. So what was it like growing up as part of a family that was driven by a passion for business, for perseverance, and for community? Well, I was always uh, proud of our family and proud of my aunts and my uncles and uh, certainly my mother and my father. And I saw them work hard every day. They uh, worshipped as one would think they should. Uh, 
they were great examples to follow. And I was always nurtured and felt like I was loved by my family and those around me. And that went an awful lot, a long way in my life. And uh, even after I finished LSU and came back into the family business, there were still many, many lessons that they taught me, and I was always eager to learn as best I could. And then eventually, at some point, you felt the need to you know, put on your own shoes, right? Follow in the footsteps of your family, but you wanted to build a new legacy for the Walker name. Walk me through those initial days of when you decided it was time to build a company on your own from the ground up, and how you decided on Fiberbond and the direction that Fiberbond went as a company. Well, we're Walker Lumber Company sold in January of 1980. I was 37 years old, had four children and another one on the way, and I was thinking, Lord, what next? And you know, it took a while to kind of get your feet on the ground and find out what was the next part of your life going to be. Right. Then um, you know, I, I missed the people and the everyday interaction with them and the challenge of business and manufacturing, which was my specialty. So a cousin of mine went to a company over in the other side of Freeport. It was about 50 miles west of my home. And that company was basically about dead. And as I tell the story, we went over there and bought the stock and controlling interest in it and stuck the... Uh, the plug back into the resuscitator. Now that kept that business alive for about nine months and I never worked harder in my life. And the problem was they didn't have the orders, but they thought they did. And they were not making money and we made money in the first month and then ran out of orders, which we thought were not a problem um, because we had all these orders that turned out they were purchase orders. So in our short um, Pete Martin experience, they didn't really get that. They were full purchase orders. To make a long story short, after nine months, I went out to kill the business, and the guy told me, Claude, don't quit. I need your business, and I want those buildings. So mm-hmm. after about two weeks' worth of anticipation, well, what I was hearing on high was, Lord, Claude, don't quit. And I like and love manufacturing. It is uh, taking and creating something of value and utility. So I gave this guy my best and said, okay, we're going to go for it. And that was the beginning days of Fiberbine. Had no idea that we were going to be as successful as we were, but we put in an awful lot of time in the product and design, getting to be the product that it needed to be. And from the very first series of buildings we did until the end, um, where we are today, if you saw those early buildings, and the second generation of them, you know, they were five bond buildings. But we worked awful hard at it. It was a real challenge in finding the right people, to find the right disciplines, and certainly the qualified people you need to take a small company and grow it to what it is today. And you'll never, ever get enough great people. It all starts right. with people. It doesn't start with me or start with the product. It starts with the people who design it and make it and sell it. And every person on our payroll has a specific test to perform. And if you don't get that done, it doesn't work. And that was the thing I really loved about being able to meet the challenge, develop the product in the very beginning, uh, all the processes that it took, including how do you 
find out what your costs are, how do you quote it, how do you finally get orders and business and go from there. But that was a real impact on my life because uh, even when I came home, my wife would tell me, well, honey, you're home, but you're not home. I was involved in the business and just up to my eyeballs in it. But um, I think Graham recounts that, that was, he was born in 1978 and now he's the president, but he said, I don't remember much about daddy in the early days. And that was true, but I wasn't home much. I think it's really powerful that you decided to make the company very people-focused, you know, very, um, very people-centric, and not just within the company, right, making it all about hiring the right people and creating a team and a family, but even outwardly, right? I mean, you said that when you were thinking of shutting the company down, you heard from some of your clients that, no, you need to keep the business open, we need what you provide, and what you're doing is great work, and that's really, I think, the core of what makes Fiberbond uh, so powerful is that you built a company that, from the beginning, was there to fill a need, to provide a solution. And when your company is so focused on being a solution for people's problems, then you know you can rarely fail because everyone's always going to need um, need those services. But even more holistically, you know, you're always coming at it from the right perspective. You're always coming at it authentically. Uh, Daniel, first of all, this company I was talking about in the beginning was a company that actually did fail. So we reorganized and uh, started as a whole new company, and that became that was the company that became Vibabon. But right after we did that, it was like starting with a clean slate. You had no... I mean, no people to speak of. We had to hire everybody. We were looking for new engineers. Who did the electrical engineering? Who did the mechanical engineering? Who did all of the structural engineering that we had to do? So we had to go back to the drawing board and start all over with everything we did. But you and through my contacts through the forest products industry and even the other experiences and looking around and people local. I knew that we had to have, and they, th those engineers and people that we had to have were available, but we wanted to stay local. And even in the beginning, we knew that with the advent of the cellular, cellular business coming on, that it would, gonna be, it would be a big business. So we wanted to tap into that as a primary source of business in order, and we were capitalize, able to capitalize on that. But it all started with having those great people that could take you to the party. And we knew that it was going to be good. Just could we be the best among that bunch of uh, suppliers for buildings, which were shelters that they put equipment in. And if we were, then the sky was the limit. But in no time did we ever take anything for granted. We felt right. like we earned every step. And as we grew... I remember the first Christmas, we had eight of us. And then after that, probably by the next year, there were probably 75. And the year after that, the third year, I think we probably had over 100 people by the time we'd moved to Minden. But I guess because of all my roots, certainly in a family business and a family-owned business, Fiberbond felt that way. 
And it should be that way because if you know your people and they know you, they knew what my heart was and my heart was never one of greed or malice or something that you know, what you see is what you get. So many of our people felt uh, very comfortable around me. I felt comfortable with them. People from all different walks and nationalities and types and we, good Lord created all of us different with different talents and abilities. And my theory of management is using other people to to reach certain goals or objectives. And I was almost uh, the definition of that because I wanted the very best people, but we pushed them and we used them and we used their talents and abilities to get us to where we are today. And that's one thing about people. It takes a lot of uh, sorting out and trying to find and the hiring process and the things that our people do to find great people. That's part of where we are today. We got to have the best and the brightest and the most dedicated and the people who have the most ability to take us to that future. And I still believe that our best days are in front of us, not behind us. Claude, I love that the real message of Fiberbond is perseverance, is looking forward and never backwards. Um, because I know a lot of Fiberbond's history is based on taking an event that you might see as tragic and turning it into an opportunity for something better. And it's such a test of leadership as well, right? I think some of the biggest tests of leadership come at difficult times. And it's really no secret that Fiberbond's history is incomplete without talking about the fire of 1998, which must have been one of the biggest tests of leadership for you up until that point. So walk me through that day when you heard the news and saw the damage for yourself. What was going through your mind? That day began with my wife and I up in... Uh, Swanee, Tennessee, because Graham was a freshman there at the University of the South up there. So that was parents' weekend. We had lunch and then started home. It took us about eight hours to drive home. We got home probably nine o'clock. Got our baths and about right before 10 o'clock, we sat down to look at the evening news and the telephone rang. My son Evan said, Daddy, I hear the plant is on fire. And he'd heard that from his father-in-law, who was monitoring all the Mississippi Twin Police Department and the uh, fire department and whatever else in London. And he lived in London. So I very quickly hung up and called our director of security and asked him, and I said, well, I hear the plant's on fire. He said, yes, Mr. Walker, and it's bad. Honey and I very quickly put on our clothes, and we live east of London about 10 miles. When we got to a little hill, you could see on the western horizon like just this great big orange glow, and I looked at it and I said, I mean, it's gone. But when we finally could get close, we had to park probably um, oh, at least a quarter mile from the facility in the plant itself. And walking through there, people would ask what I did. I said, well, I happen to be the owner. Oh, my goodness, I just saw it. I said, no, it is what it is. We're going to learn to deal with it. And once I got to the fire itself, there were many people, the firefighters and a lot of our people together and trying to help. And I just made sure that those people were cared, cared for with ice water or whatever we had available. And you could tell when you got there, it was gone. I mean, the whole plant was on fire. And 
in my experience, has always been trying to define what's the source of the problem, what is the problem, and what can we do about it. Mm-hmm. Well, once you saw it was gone, you knew, well, this is going to be a total rebuild. And while you felt like, oh, my goodness, this is bad, uh, I never had the luxury of being in leadership, of uh, being able to have a peak and valley experience. People are always looking at you. They always want to say, well, how does Mr. Walker react to this? Or what does he think about this? So I want to be that stable force of guys you can depend on me. We're going to get through this thing somehow. Don't know all the answers yet, but we'll find them. So once we came back the next day or two, I mean, it was, it was terrible. And all our people, they wondered, well, are we out of business? Right. Well, yes, temporarily. But I remember sitting in my office and calling for a meeting and getting ready to talk to all our employees. Just probably in two or three days later, I don't remember exactly. But anyway, they had a podium out there built behind, and I remember telling the people, folks, mourn this old plant while you can, because this served us well, and it has a lot of memories for all of us. But while you're here taking care of getting all of this thing and all the remnants of destruction and clean it all up. I'm flying out to our West Coast plant, which was in Fairfield, California, to meet all these Danish engineers and structural engineers and other people to design a new plant. And I can remember very well, we had this brand new technology out there in our West Coast plant that came out of Europe. And they really were light years ahead of us as far as... Uh, the productive facilities had in precast plants, and I'd always thought we needed to have that pretty bad. And when I looked at all that technology, I wanted to move it to Minden and our plant, which was the bigger of the two plants by far. Mm-hmm. And what I heard from on high again was, Paul, look at that slab. It's slick. And you had to envision getting all the stuff off of it. And there are pictures that showed all the buildings inside and caved in metal frame building and everything else. It was, it was pretty bad. But what I saw was the opportunity to put this great plant in there, and that's exactly what we did. It took us about a year to rebuild it, but I never felt like that when we were dead at that moment. And I want to reassure our people, too. Again, it takes a long time to hire people and get them to do the right, to fill that right job you have for them and get everything as best you can. And that's always a, a lifelong task, I believe. Never as easy. And I told our people at that time, I was with them, folks, don't worry about a payday. We're always going to get paid. Don't worry about that. You take care of your families and do everything else. I'm going to go about my business. And they never missed a paycheck. And I felt like that was a defining moment for me personally and our people as a, as a whole and certainly for Fiberbond. I never looked back from there. I mean, I feel like it was one of those moments where there really is no other choice, or at least that's how it felt for you. And I think that's what has helped solidify you as as such a great leader is that you know you you didn't even have a second thought about, okay, well, Fiberbond burned down what should we do? Is there, you know, do we let it burn? Do we move on and start something else? No, it was okay. We lost the plant 
Now it's time to rebuild and we're going to do it immediately and no client orders are going to be missed. No one's going to miss a paycheck and we are going to move forward headstrong. And I think it's that mentality of, you know, there is no other choice. This is what's going to happen that helped keep Fiber Bond alive and, um, you know, is, is a real spirit of business and of community. Well, Fiber Bond itself was awarded the Lantern Award uh, sometime in the late 80s. It was for like an entrepreneur of the year in our district of Louisiana. And that entrepreneurship, is, you find a lot out about you and your company and the people because you don't quit. Right. And I can frankly tell you that I never had the thought of quitting. Just it wasn't part of me. That's not who I am. And you learn that through your upbringing and challenge you have, and maybe in sports, it could be in business, it could be in your high school, it could be in your college career. You know, if you have a tough test coming up, what do you do? You study for it. You get ready for it. And that was the same thing, and I felt like in a lot of ways, that was what I'd been prepared to do all my lifetime. And we were not going to quit. And I think that was, today, people who were there, they get a little misty-eyed when you think about all the events that we went through and we survived it and we came out better for it on the other side. It was a great challenge, but our people were ready for it, and I think they worked awfully hard getting a new plant up. And today, that precast plant is the best thing, certainly in the Western Hemisphere, and it's probably as good as anything in the world. And even though that plant is there, and it has that capability from a design viewpoint, uh, it's still about our people because they're the ones that make that thing and make our day-to-day -day affairs happen. It's not right. me and it's not that plan. It's our people. I feel like if I had to give you and Fiberbond a nickname, it would be the, the phoenix of Minden, you know, rising from the fire, renewed and more powerful than before. Um, in, an, in a really tangible way, this fire allowed Fiberbond to break into new markets as well. Um, so when rebuilding and moving forward, was it always the plan to take this destruction and turn it into an opportunity to grow? Or did the opportunity to break into new markets present itself naturally in a very, you know, stars aligning kind of way? Well, I think the, the picture of that fire and the phoenix and all that thing, uh, was a defining thing for those that snapped it and those that saw it and those mm -hmm. that experienced it. And we felt like that that was like a purification process. When you make all these metals, you purify it by fire to get all the kind of the bad stuff off of it, where it gets to be pure gold or pure silver, whatever you do. But it was a refining process for us. But as we went forward, we knew there were other markets. We looked for new markets and always were trying to find a better mousetrap, so to speak. But I think um, certainly we were able to exploit that plant and its capabilities and it made a better product. It made more of it with less manpower and certainly it was cheaper and more um, efficient to run. But we were always looking for new opportunities. And I guess by the time I retired in 2007, uh, we changed our logo from the Phoenix, which might have been a little dated to some people. And it, it was like a new beginning for my uh, successor there. Mm -hmm. And certainly my family. And I thought, well, guys, 
I'm not tied to that Phoenix. I'm tied to the business and what you guys think is good, and I'll always uh, reserve the right to bear inspection or look to, to them, see where their leadership is on point or where it should be. But our people and uh, the leadership has always looked for new products. And I think that we've done a really good job of redirecting the company from almost a 90% plus in the sailor business to where now is probably less than 10% of our business. I don't know of any other companies who have reinvented their product and their marketing activities and been as successful at it as we have been. And I give Graham a lot of credit for that. And he had the vision that uh, this is what we need to do. And when we sat down and talked about it, I said, go for it. And he did. Well, it seems like at the core of everything, you keep bringing it back to the people, right? Which is really what propels Fiberbond forward. And like you said, what keeps Fiberbond alive? It's it's not the plant. It's not the technology. It's the people. So what is your personal methodology on crafting the right team for a company? How did you approach building the Fiberbond family and how does it speak to the mission of the company? Because I know you said that it's always difficult to find those right people for that Fiberbond family, but it seems like you have, right? You've hired the most talented, but also the most passionate people. So what is your methodology for finding and retaining those people? Well, first of all, whatever the job is, you know, you can't get a carpenter to do an electrician job right. and vice versa. And you can't find a professional engineer that can go out there and do the work out there on the casting bed. Everybody has their own individual skills. And when we looked at trying to find the right people back in the late 80s, we found people driving right by our community and our plant that were going to Shreveport every day to work in the crafts that we needed. Right. And the simplest definition of what Fiberbond is as a company is that we were a general contractor. It's just that we work and do all those crafts and labors and different types of work inside and under a roof. It never runs on our job, which is a good thing. But when you find all those different people contributing to the same task, and that is building a building, they have to engineer it. They have to procure all of the supplies for it. And they have to use a quality control system to make sure our quality is repetitious. And it takes a lot of just support people, people who are hiring people, people who are procuring the, the product for you every day. And then you've got to keep it in inventory. And then first thing you know, you just go on and on and on. But when we got into Fiberbond Power, we were in a more defined product that demanded, demanded much more engineering and project management, which is a, to manage a product and to manage a project is a lot like a plant startup, which I've been through about six of them, and it will test your skill and your mentality and it'll test your soul. Can you get this thing done or not? You think you can, but you have to prove it. But in all those people that we try to hire, they have to have the necessary personal skills and morals and things like that that we're looking for to be specific leaders in their own departments, in their own jobs. And when you think about that Fiberbond affects so many lives every day in our local community, those everyday people from all walks of life go to their families every night and they have an impact on their families. 
they have an impact on their schools and their churches and just people around them and who they are and what they are. And it's just a, um, I guess, a blessing to me to see how dedicated our people are, not only uh, on the job, but off the job. And that's what makes Minden, makes Minden a much better community than it ever could be without us. I can remember there was a time when we had a Christmas party or some kind of plant-wide meeting. There were probably a couple of hundred of us together, and we talked about, would you just close your eyes and clear your mind and think about this? What if there was no fiber bond? And what would you be doing today? And when you really think about that, I think the purest, maybe a measure of what we've done in our past, and this is really important to me, is what kind of impact we have on our people around us, in our community around us, and even upon the United States of America. There's a 50-50 chance if you talk on a cell phone today that that signal comes in and through a fiber line building. Mm -hmm. Now, you think about that. How many times do you use your cell phone today? If there were none when we started. There were zero. So we started and helped all these companies get to the very basic task of taking a cell phone and making it work because we sheltered in our buildings the equipment they had to have to start that whole industry. And when you think about today, do you watch your weather? Do you ever see next red? We did the next red projects for a company up in New York, and we were one of the manufacturing arms that manufactured the building for them to put all the equipment in. And that went all over the United States, and I think seven or eight different countries where they had U.S. Air Force bases. So in a small, basic way, what Fiberbun has done and been about to me is, did we leave this world a better place when we face our maker? I believe that we did, and I will always believe that. So, Claude, when you finally stepped down and handed the company over to your sons and your family, what was going through your mind, seeing the company you built from the ground up take its next steps? How did it feel to entrust the success of Fiberbond to someone else? Uh, I knew what kind of blood ran those things. I knew they'd been raised that they should be. Uh, in a Christian home, and certainly they knew what hard work was. And I always told my family, I said, folks, you will never come to work to me until you prove your worth to somebody else. Go find another job and be successful. I, I, I'm not hiring you. There are no freebies here. Everybody has to produce, and everybody has to have their own training. So it was a big deal for them all to go to school and make sure that they got good degrees and did well in whichever curriculum they did. And, you know, I think about our oldest son, Judd, who farmed for 22 years, and all of a sudden he came to me two years ago, Daddy, I can't make any money in farming. So he leased his farm and he went to Grail and said, anything you can hire me to do? Then you go back and you think about Todd was my accountant, and then he got into a small business in Ruston, Louisiana. He was a lumber distributor. And when we needed him to come back, well, then I wasn't sure we were going to get him. And then he came back and got to be a VP of manufacturing, and then got of operations, got to be president of the company at one time. And then you think about Adam. He is as good as he is in uh, 
IT in, smart as a whip, and he gets bored. But he's working for other people. He's done himself and worked with Fiberbond and all those things. Got a great family living right across the road from me. And Graham was always pretty special to me. And then uh, he was the youngest of my four boys. But Graham was a great student, had a great heart. And you know, he was just kind of one of my own, I guess. He was, but uh, I felt like well, he had leadership in spades. And uh, the guy told me he was probably as good as he'd ever saw up at the University of the South. And it was a really good liberal arts school. William had a scholarship up there. So he thought that he was going to uh, leave and go to work to do consulting work. And he tried, but then he couldn't find anything out there because Arthur Anderson was having some trouble in those days. And so he wanted to go get an MBA at LSU. So I talked to the dean of the business school down there, and he said, are we talking about Graham? I said, yeah. He said, tell Graham to come on. He'll be here three weeks after the session started, but that won't be a problem for him. And it wasn't. When he interviewed, uh, after he finished his MBA, he went to work for AmSouth Bank, which taught him all the financial things. And then if you fast forward a couple of years, um, he joined us as our CFO, and that was where he tried his water wings on. And then he got to be where he wanted to do five upon power. And that today has been a big, big deal. And he's always worked hard, always has the vision, and he expects more out of himself than the people around him. In fact, he's not the best delegator because he thinks I can do it if I can find the time. The problem for him is finding the time. Mm-hmm. And then we get back to Claire. She was the caboose, and uh, Claire was a special young lady in our hearts. But we found out when she was six years old that she had muscular dystrophy of a sort. And I found about it when I landed in a snowstorm, just an out and out blizzard in Butte, Montana, on business. And that has been a blessing to us. She's had some limitations, but she's had two or three operations that have been tough. But in today's world, that's corrected all her deficiencies, and she is bright, mother of two young girls, and just doing super and lives up in Plymouth, Michigan. But all of my family members, they received the nurturing care from what I think is the best woman in the world, my wife, Andrea, and everybody calls her Annie like Connie without the C, but Annie and I have been married 51 years this year, and uh, she's been a great companion. She's been a great mother. She still is the pins of our church up here every Sunday, and they're not a finer woman living than, than Annie is, in my opinion, and I've seen a bunch of them, but she. She's just great. She's been on our board, but all of my family was trained. And I was a third generation in Woods Walker. They're the second generation in Fiberbond. So I don't know what the future holds, but I don't believe there's anybody scared of it. I love that. Once again, that mentality of perseverance and of really taking everything in stride and not fearing the future, instead welcoming it and welcoming the unexpected. So, Claude, to close things out, uh, I want to ask you, from the employees who are currently at Fiberbond to the ones that have come and gone over the company's long and storied history, if you had to give them all one lesson in leadership, you know, you have to sum up your entire entrepreneurial life from the beginning of Fiberbond to now, you have to sum it up into one lesson in leadership, which would it be and why? 
I'm not sure I'd know. There are no easy answers, but I think the best thing that we can do, first thing, I don't believe anybody can be successful without the leadership of the Almighty in their lives. That's the greatest decision that everybody has to make. And if you mess that one up, you really mess it up for all eternity. Secondly, I think you have to prepare and be able to use those talents and abilities that the good Lord gave us. We're all individuals, but nothing is easy in life. And you'll be surprised, life never gets easier. You think it will, oh, if I can just finally get this refrigerator paid off, and if I get this car paid off, it's, it's all a bunch of challenges in life. And then you have family coming along, and then you have other opportunities in life, then you have business. It all comes along about being prepared to face every day, live it one day at a time, prepare for the future, and you, know, you can look back to see where things are and maybe how they were to judge how you did, but it's not about yesterday, it's about today and tomorrow. And use those great opportunities and things that you have every day. And I really believe with all my heart that again, the future of Fiberbond is secure. It will be because of the dedication of my people and my leadership and my I'm, I'm secure in the fact that I've been bought and paid for by the company. I live a, a, a really great life because of my family and all those people who work with me and for me and they support me. I support them in my prayers every day. And I believe that if we all continue at the task at hand, one day at a time, I believe we will be successful. So it's about preparation and opportunity, and I believe that uh, the people that we have now and in the past have always seen the same vision that I had. Let's go be the very best that we can be and have an impact upon people around us and the lives around us so that that influence will be one where we've done the very best we can and we've had a great influence of making this a better place to live. Claude, inspirational stuff. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Building a Better Bond and, you know, really telling all and walking us through the inception and the journey and the today of Fiber Bond. And I think, like you said best, it's not about yesterday, it's about today and tomorrow. And there's always another tomorrow for Fiber Bond because not even a blazing fire can stop Fiber Bond from growing and from becoming the company that it was meant to be. So, Claude, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure chatting with you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much.